Okay, we're in Proverbs. We're working through chapter after chapter of the book of Proverbs. Not every verse, but handpicking some of the ones out. And we're in chapter 15 today. <coughs> chapter 15 of Proverbs. <coughs> and if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find that as you go from chapter to chapter, there are verses that are related to each other. They kind of cover the same topic. And then he'll stick in something that's not related to anything. But uh, it's not meant to be uh, uh, totally chaotic. Uh, so a lot of things uh, tie together. And in chapter 15, we see several things that tie together. And one of the biggest problems in the world of humans is speech. We need a lot of speech therapy. <laughs> and I'm not talking about pronounce your words right. I'm talking about whatever comes out of your mouth is usually a problem somewhere, somehow. And that the majority of human relationship problems stem from speech. When we talk to each other, the way we talk to each other, how we say things uh, just doesn't work a lot of times. And so there's quite a bit in Proverbs about how to talk, how to communicate, how to uh, be with people and do the things that are proper. So we begin Proverbs 15, uh, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Um, wisdom, this is about wisdom. It's a book about wisdom. Uh, wisdom, first of all, will understand human nature. Understand how humans behave and grasp human nature. Alright. Get it. You know how humans respond and humans think. And then uh, wisdom knows how to diffuse a problem. You need to diffuse problems. And you can do that with speech, he says. You can learn to say the right thing. A soft answer turneth away wrath. And so if we can quietly respond when somebody wants to choke us or punch us or anything they can think of. It's a real diffuser and we have to understand human nature to see there's something that I can say that will diffuse the situation and calm it down. And he says a soft answer is like that. Soft answer turn turns away wrath. Now, I'm going to explain to you that some people love to fight. They love to fight. They want to fight all the time. There are churches that train their people to fight, which to me is a criminal thing. I don't know what's going to happen to things like that. <clears throat> but there are churches that are always training people to fight. You know, you go out and tell them, yeah, come on. You know, there, we don't love to fight. We need to diffuse a situation any way we can. And uh, uh, <clears throat> he says a soft answer turns away wrath, grievous words stir up anger. We don't want 
people to be angry all the time. We want to diffuse that. And so carefully we need to respond. And I think that one of the things you think about human relationships the way people are, um, you know, how often do you go up to a lion and poke him? You know? And then he bites your arm off. We do that with people. Give them a little jab, give them a little jab, give them another jab. And all of a sudden, ah! You created anger. You didn't diffuse it. You created it. And I see that a lot in human relationships. They're always going to give you a little comment. A little comment. Well, you, I know what you are. And then all of a sudden they snap like a dog or a lion, and there you go. How's that? Well, we've got to learn to control the responses that a soft answer will turn away wrath. And that's what we're going for. All right, verse 3. Down to verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. It's a fascinating thought here. <clears throat> the eyes of the Lord are in every place. We think about the sunshine. The sunshine only shines on half the world at a time, right? The rest of it's in darkness. So the sun, that big magnificent thing up in the sky, only shines on half the world at a time. And even part of that world is a cave somewhere or a deep valley that's dark, uh, places where the sun can't go, all right? Now, humans can hide inner thoughts and inner feelings from everybody around them except God. We can keep our thoughts to ourselves. We can think things that may not be a very good thing to think about. And we can say, keep it myself, I'm not going to say nothing, and I'm okay, all right? But he says that God, our eyes of the Lord are in every place. He's not on half the world like the sun. You can't hide. There's no place you can go where God doesn't see you. Right? And I think Psalm 139 is a masterpiece to explain this. If you look at Psalm 139, back a few pages. <clears throat> o Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but thou knowest it all together. So, he said, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding evil and good. And sometimes uh, this should help you not to sin. <laughs> should help you not to sin. Turn your TV around. I got 100 million channels, and most of my I watch the old black and white stuff. It's all I care about. But when when you turn a channel, all of a sudden there's some image on there. You think, oh my goodness. Well, turn it quick. Don't stop and look at it. God's watching too. He's there with you. He knows what's in your thoughts. And you should remember that God is, what does he say? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
beholding evil. So that's a powerful incentive not to sin. God's watching. He's right there watching. And you can't hide from him. You can't think, well, I'll just watch this for a while, see what happens, then I'll turn it. He's watching from the minute you turn it on. He's got you. And so it's a powerful incentive not to sin. So this is a thought about God, all that he can see. And we can hide from other people, but we can't hide from God. Next one is verse number four. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. We go back to words, and he says, good words, a wholesome tongue, saying things that are worth hearing, good words, he says, is like a tree of life. And I love it when he explains life like a tree. My father planted trees all around the house where I live, and I look out and I'm in the trees. I'm in them, man. I, they're right there. And I look at them all the time, and I think to myself, these are magnificent. Look at how big they are, stretching up to the sky. See, you and I are only this big. Say, well, we got life. Well, you're this big. That tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It just stretches out, sucks up moisture, and grows. It's a huge thing. And he says, uh, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. It, it helps growth. Helps growth in other people. Not just a little spurt, but lots and lots and lots and lots. So, saying the right things. A wholesome tongue helps people to grow like a tree. It just keeps going and going and going and going. Beautiful. And then he says the opposite, of course. Perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Uh, a breach there would mean a crush or a wound. And that's what makes things stop growing. So you can do two things with your tongue. You can help people to grow and develop and mature and get larger in their mind capacity and the grasp of spiritual things. Or you could shrink them and stop them right in their tracks and have them shrivel up. And people shrivel up. They really do. They, get, they just die because of words that shouldn't be said. Right? So there's a lot in this chapter about what you say. Verse number 10. Down to verse number 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. <coughs> in in nature, in the world around us, there's a, a preordained, fancy word, path <coughs> of life where God intended life to be lived a certain way. God intended that. And so uh, we look at nature and it is suggested to us your conscience. That little voice inside of you suggests to us that there's a right and a wrong way, doesn't it? It says, hey, you. You know, we used to be the cartoons, a little devil on this shoulder, angel on this one, you know. I like those. I think those are pretty effective. Hey, no, 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 no. It, yeah, 
conscience suggests there's a right way to live. But when it comes to the Bible, it just declares it. It doesn't make any suggestions. It says, this is the way, walk in it. What did Jesus say? I am the way. All right? If you want to know how to live, you can do it. So <clears throat> we are all free men. God made us free and left us to choose what we want. And so correction, he says, is grievous to him that forsaketh the way. If we decide against our conscience, against the natural order of things, and against the revealed truth of the Bible, we say, I'm going to live the way I feel like living. That's what I'm going to do. And then somebody comes up and says, hey, you shouldn't do that. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. I don't want to be told that. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so if we go out of the way, we hate to be corrected. And then he says, if you refuse correction, you die. Woo, that's pretty straightforward, huh? And he says, so if somebody comes along and can kindly, with a soft answer, right, explain, this is not the way we need to go, it can help, right? It'll keep you from dying, is what he's saying here. Verse number 11, next one. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? You can't see what's in hell. We can barely see what's around us. Get the truth of the matter. We can see in this world that we live in, we can see what goes on around us and try to figure it out. Uh, but you can't see what's going on in hell. You don't know what's going on in heaven. You can't see those things. He says God can see everything in hell. There's a lot of stuff down there. Woo. Woo. A lot of stuff. And he can see it all. He says, you think he's got trouble looking into your heart? <laughs> think you, one little human down here, you think, well, God's not looking at me. <laughs> That's nothing. He can grasp all of heaven and all of hell and all of the earth and any other dimension that exists outside of our knowledge is fully in God's mind. And don't think he's got a problem looking at you and say, boy, I don't know if I can figure him out. He got you. He got you made. He can figure you out. All right. So don't ever think, oh, God doesn't understand. No. He got it. He understands. He knows what we're like. All right. So that's a largeness of God, just like <clears throat> the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Here, uh, hell and destruction. He can see all things, and he can certainly look inside of us. Next one uh, we got is verse 12. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. What's a scorner? A scorner is somebody who... Uh, well, here in the case of Proverbs, who thinks that God is nothing, makes fun of God, scorns God, scorns God's truth, makes fun of him, refuses to seek advice. All right, scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go to the wise. He will not look for advice. He's not interested in advice. <clears throat> so the question is, 
our God and God's truth important to you? How important are they to you? Now, there's a scorn there. Said, ah, not important. That was the morning service, you remember. The same thing. Don't need God, not interested. Are God's truth and God's importance to you? If they are, then seek, first of all, and take, secondly. Seek advice and take it if somebody gives it. That's a good thing to be willing to learn. The scorner is not willing to learn. All right, next one, verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow the heart, the spirit is broken up. A merry heart, somebody goes around always laughing. And sometimes you say, well, that kind of person doesn't have any spiritual depth. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're saying. Somebody laughs a lot. Merry heart, he says, is a very special thing. Uh, my father had that. He was happy-go-lucky. He sang all the time. He was happy all the time. Very, very seldom. With all the years that I knew him, can I remember him being unhappy? Almost never. Almost never. He was always happy, happy-go-lucky. And I want to say that that happiness that you're talking about here, Mary Hart, is a habit of the mind. It's a habit of the mind. It's a very good habit of the mind to create that, to allow ourselves to be happy so that it shows on the outside. That's an important thing. And he says, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. So if we've created a habit of being satisfied, being happy inside, it will show on the outside. My father showed by singing, always pulling somebody's leg, always trying to joke around, a constant, and people thought he was crazy and funny, and he was. That's a good description, crazy and funny, all right? And he says here, Merry Heart maketh a cheerful countenance. It's the habit of the mind, uh, but... Uh, by sorrow of heart, his spirit is broken. That is, sorrow comes and we carry it around a lot with us, and then we have no habits. All right? And the opposite of this, we have no habits, habits of joy, none of those habits of the mind. And so we're crushed, he says. That is, uh, we stop developing. We stop developing. Sorrow comes in life, and we have to take it and do the best we can with it. Uh, but if you make it a habit, not a good thing. I knew of uh, two parents, and their young boy was riding a bike down the road, and they found him dead. Nobody could figure out why. Couldn't figure out what happened. He just died. And that mother went to the cemetery and cried like six or seven years in a row without stopping every day. <laughs> Nothing you could do. Sorrow absolutely swept her away. And that was a sad, sad case. 
And so we have to be careful. Sorrow can come, but there's a time for sorrow. In everything, there's a season, right? He says there's a time to be sad, and there's a time to be happy. And we need to develop the habit of being happy. Be careful that sorrow doesn't destroy you. Verse 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. And 17 goes with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therein. Uh, <coughs> we had some visitors with us a couple of weeks ago and they wanted to eat some of my wife's herbs. I said, you eat them all, man. I don't want them. Let's put the... <laughs> Come grass on my plate. I don't want that grass on there. You eat the grass. I'm not eating grass. Picked out. Oh, this is good stuff. Though they were eating the grass. It says, "Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox." That means a nice, thick, fat steak. <laughs> See. So, what do you want? You want a grass on your plate, or do you want a nice steak? Well, if there's love, I'll eat grass for it. All right, it's better. All right, you can eat a big old fat steak and everybody's mad and hates everybody. What good is that? All right, and he says before that, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therein. The fear of God gives to us peace, and that's a very important part. The fear of God equals peace. You have peace in your heart because of the fear of God. That's a very special thing to have. And so, do you like the peace that comes from knowing God and fearing Him? It's better than all everything else you can think of. Uh, there's a lot of things on the outside. He says, better to be poor and have peace with God and to be rich and be at odds with God. Much better, he says. Better to be healthy on the inside than beautiful on the outside. Huh? Better to be healthy on the inside than beautiful on the outside. Better to trust in God. Don't have anything. It's all right. You'll, you'll survive. You'll make it. Now verse 18. It looks just like verse 1. A wrathful man stirs up strife. But he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Now, in verse 1, it said a soft answer turns away wrath. But down here in 18, he said there are people who are slow to anger. All right, soft answer, he says, will quench anger. But he's saying here that uh, <coughs> the person that's slow to anger will quench the argument. All right? There's a little bit of a difference. All right? So in an angry situation, a soft answer can bring down the emotion for a minute. But a person who just doesn't get angry is not going to be arguing all the time. And so it's a little bit different. It's a valuable thing to think about, to be slow to anger, not to sh get heated up too quick. Doesn't work well. All right, next one. We go down to verse 22. A couple more. Verse 22. Without counsel, 
purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. Plans. He's talking about plans. So we're going to make plans in life and how they're going to work out. Well, you've heard the old saying, the best laid plans of mice and men gang after glee or often go astray. And so how are we going to make plans work out? He says, well, here's one way is you get enough advice. He said a lot of the counselors, a lot of advisors will help plans to work out. And I personally, my opinion is that open house where we entertain 3,000 people, shove food in their mouths till it's all gone, and uh, they go out of here smiling and happy, I think that comes from many advisors. A lot of people working together saying, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll contribute this way. And as people do their own parts, it contributes to the whole atmosphere of the place. That's exactly what this is about. If you want big plans to go off, it's going to take a lot of advice. It's going to take a lot of people to help with that. <clears throat> and the multitude of counselors there are established. Right? So we can make plans and be willing, open to take advice. Verse 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season how good it is. Man, there's a real deep insight into speech and human nature is right there. Man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. Right? Part of human nature and trying to diffuse problems he said, we're going to speak a word in season. There's a time to talk and a time not to talk. There's a season to say something, and you need to say things at the right time. And I'm going to tell you right now, that doesn't work on a cell phone or with a text. And you say, well, I need my cell phone. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you use it fine and all that. But if you're going to communicate in a situation where we're going to talk to people, try to help people, throw the phone in the garbage. Get rid of the text message. Why? Because I need to look in your eyes. People call me on the phone and they say, oh, I'm going to tell you this. Don't tell me now. I'm going to talk to you face to face. Because I want to see what's in your eyes. And there is no way so easily to misinterpret what is said than over a phone and with a text. All right? Easiest thing to happen. And he's saying, say it the way it should be said. All right? Don't leave things open to all sorts of interpretation. So the failure of society in general is that they can't talk. They can't talk to each other civilly. And it becomes more and more and more the same after a while until society gets all, learn when to speak. It's a very important part of doing that. Uh, 
there is a time to talk uh, and then a time not to talk. And a lot of people speak out of season. Carefully chosen seasons will accomplish a lot. Um, usually, if we have something to say, not in a crowd, not in a crowd. That's the wrong thing to do. Usually, you can, won't accomplish much but to embarrass somebody, speak to them in a crowd. We want to talk in some private way, make sure our words are said in the right season. Uh, sometimes outlandish behavior is okay. Speak to it in a crowd. Why? Because we can put a little pressure on people who are behaving outlandishly better in a crowd than in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And we can make people realize, hmm, I feel embarrassed in front of all these people. Yeah, well, don't do that, and you won't. Okay, it's, it's, so it's a very difficult thing to choose the season uh, where you speak. And I was part of a church at one time where they really did this poorly. It was really bad. And you, I watched time and time again people come in the church door and the pastor, one of the elders, would run over to them and say, after church we're having a meeting. And go sit down. You think they paid attention in church? Are you kidding me? Their minds are spinning. What do they want me for? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Constantly. It's a ho horrible way to communicate to people. I'll fix you later. No? <laughs> That's not what we do. And lots of times, you don't fix them at all. You can ask people, say, I've got a question. Can you answer my question? It's a lot better way to communicate in season. All right? And it is a very poor way to say, um, or leave people hanging. You and I are going to have a talk someday. No, that's not what you do. And that's speaking out of season. So this is a particularly important thing about human relationships and how to talk to people is that we don't create stress so that by the time we get to talk to them, they're scared out of their mind. That's not what we want. We want to communicate in such a way so that we say just the right thing with just the right attitude in a quiet voice at the right time. Do a lot to help human relationships and guide them in the right way. All right? So those are some of the things out of uh, Proverbs 15. Next week, we'll go on to chapter 16, pick a few out, and go over those. Thank you.